Hey everybody, this is Perch, and uh, we're, I'm here with Joe. How you doing, Joe? I'm all right, Perch. How are you? <laughs> I caught Joe at the worst moment, just taking a drink. Um, it's been a long time, but we're catching back up with Kari Andrews. Uh, how, how have you been? I've been great. Living yeah. the dream. When the world gives you rough waters, you get your Patrick Swayze surfboard and you surf. Perfect. So, you know, I've been yep. surfing this past year. You've been doing a great job. You've, you've had when we first talked. I think Erratic was just about to launch. It, it it was like coming out the next week or so, I believe, when we talked the first time, or it was right at that beginning part. And and now the series is done. You've got a new series on the way uh, with Marvel. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you. So how how did did Erratic play out like you hoped? What did you what did you think of how it all came out? Oh. What a question. I mean, you never, I try not to have any hopes and dreams and, you know, in this crazy world, like, um, I always try, I always try to go into comic book work and try, I try to stay focused on the work. So I try to, I try to as a defense mechanism, well, really as a mechanism not to subvert my own abilities to make anything good. I try not to worry how it's going to be received, which is a big battle when you're a creative person you're all because you, you there's two truths one is that the reception allows you to do more work right. the reception allows you to get paid uh and then two you want it to be received in some way so it's always a huge part of the equation but if you focus on the reception then you destroy your ability to create properly so it's always like that's the battle is like that's that is the mind battle that 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 you play every day when you create. So I try not to have any expectations when I I did have things I wanted to accomplish. So some of the things I wanted to do when I started was I wanted to create an archetypal superhero. I feel I felt like the world, and I think we talked about this. You know, subverting the genre, expanding, iterating outwards is always like an interesting creative expression. But sometimes there's sometimes there's more subversion and a return to the core. And I and I wanted to I was very interested in like what is an archetypal superhero in the genre? How can I focus on creating something that is just on its own a thing and mm -hmm. uh, and you know explore some ideas I had about uh, what it means to be a hero, what it means to face today's education system, like <laughs> you know, some yeah. kind of like to make it both i wanted it to feel archetypal and like just like a superhero in a superhero costume with a secret identity in itself i think is a subversive move in today's yeah. world so so uh, subversion as 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 a return to archetype was was what i was interested in in, in erratic on an intellectual level or whatever mm -hmm. and, and then creatively there were some fun things too like the very first image i drew of erratic was the first page of Erratic, and then spoiler alert: I used that first page in the last issue of Erratic in some way. I thought, just as an absurd notion, it was fun and interesting to play those games too creatively. It, it was. Um, I mean, the series was received very well. Uh, Joe, you just you just caught up with it. Uh, how did you like the book? Yeah, I, I just binged it uh, last night just to make sure I was all caught up. And yeah, no, it's a it's an interesting sort of flow. Uh, it, it did have a lot of like, um, I know, I was getting kind of thoughts of like you know Bendis on the early issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, like when it was like just starting to kind of build everything up. Like I was thinking of things like that in terms of just this like younger kid who's like trying to grapple with these sort of things and uh, -huh. uh you, you know it was 
somewhat decompressed in, in those areas, and then you would get sort of the bumps of, of action mm -hmm. uh, coming through the comic. I, I, I think that's fair. You could tell me if uh, that doesn't sound... Oh, no, listen. Right. It's, it's not called erratic for, for no reason. That is my, <laughs> writing, that is my writing style. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm well aware of... Uh, I'm well aware of my uh, my flour my uh, I'll call them flourishes. Sure, you <laughs> wound up playing very well because you you you're telling this origin of a superhero, and I liked the. I mean, it did it did have the same. It reminded me of early Spider-Man. I, I I hadn't thought of that. The kind of the one thing Bendis tapped into that I think was successful in Ultimate Spider-Man was that. Uh, felt honest as a kid, and and kind of those struggles that a kid was facing. It didn't. It, it felt like it was nicely blended together, but. Um, it it feels like in reading it, it felt like it'd been a long time since we'd gotten a proper superhero kind of origin story. <laughs> I, I it was uh, it was nice. It was it was wonderful to kind of go and, and read through that because it just we're not getting a lot of comics like that. We used to get them all the time. Yeah, those are the comics I grew up on, and I think yeah. this, the Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, um, which I didn't really read at the time, the original stuff with the Mark Bagley, yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Was I was super well received, and part of the reason why I was so well received it was again a return to that core. Same with Miller's uh, Millar's Mark Millar's uh, X Men mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. It was a return to those core, core concepts, and I think like uh, everyone's been so interested in again subverting expectations, iterating outwards, trying new characters, new this, new that, new that. A loss, a loss of secret identity, like all the all this, like all this, all this moving away. From what I think the archetype of a archetype of a superhero is, cool. that we've gone so far out now that I think there is a real subversion in the return to the nucleus of what a superhero super heroic archetype. And, and, and any way to reinvestigate the core to me feels like now's the time. Like if you have that urge, like do it now before everyone else is doing it because it's yeah. coming. I think that's what's going to come. Yeah. Out. No, I you, totally agree. Yeah. You had this sort of way of, you know, the, the teachers in particular, how you were dealing with them, kind of felt like a mix of uh, manga and anime with the over-exaggerated mm -hmm. sort of characters. Like, these are these these are obviously not meant to be uh, grounded, gritty characters that you you as a student would, would, would meet. And at the same time, it also felt like it was taking a bit from maybe like Silver Age, Spider-Man, you know, like some Ditko stuff where, yeah, what was it, like Amazing Spider-Man, like 25 with like the, the first like Spider-Slayer and, you know, they, they bring in like Smythe to like the school and it's just like, hey kids, here's a, a deadly robot maker. You know, <laughs> you know like that, that kind of stuff. It seemed like a mix of, of uh, like a little bit of that, a little bit of, you know, a manga influence, things like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think I think you're, I think you're I think you're correct. Um, totally, it, it, there there is there is I mean there is some stuff there that's I mean my kids are in the Canadian school system, so uh -huh. I yeah. found a lot of inspiration in in real teachers. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in a fun in a fun way. For sure. Um, but I think part of for me part of the so part of the challenge of this character as a whole was that. Um, J. Michael Straczynski had created, he created the core of this universe, the mm -hmm. engine of the universe, this virus that mutates into super superpowers. Um, and then my task was to expand the world 
outwards and in new ways with my own voice, not not yeah. not 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 be uh not be a necessarily a supporting voice to his work, but to be an additional voice in mm-hmm. that universe. Yeah. And so part of the constraints of that is uh, just by definition, I didn't feel like I should have a very large footprint in like a world event happens, a cataclysm sure. happens, the geopolitics change, uh, a, you know, a revolution that sweeps the world, you know, th- things like that. And I found the mechanics of a high school being so perfect because th- the high school experience is such an insular representation of the world itself. You have all those factions in this one little school. You have your system of oppression. You have you, you have your group, their group. You have the different age levels. You have sport, competitive sports. You have kids' introduction to like alcohol and other other illicit uh, things. You have you know kids experiment with shoplifting. You know there's like dating, there's relationships. It's like all these representations of what you could become in the world. And so I, I found it the perfect place to just like. Uh, tell us a smaller contained story and part of part of that part of building that is creating like teachers that are bad guys and you know kind of like a smaller insular character space so i I think i think it fits well and when you're a kid man um at least for me i think teachers should almost always be the bad guys they should almost Mm -hmm. always be representations of of maybe uh, the outside world trying to tell you how to behave or what to do or how to live. And sometimes they will be allies, but mostly they're enemies, to be honest. And one of the, yeah. <laughs> one of the editors, I can't remember who, because it was given to me secondhand by Axel, was like, in that first issue, was like, uh, yeah, they're worried uh, that all, all the adults are like, are like bad. And I was like, yeah, because it's a book about teens. And I get off. They should all be bad. Like I, I like that a lot. Like when you're a, a yeah. young person, the adult world is one of mostly corruption and oppression. Mm-hmm. Basically. Did you get to you know talk with Straczynski at all during it, or did you have like you know was it like secondhand or how did that work? Uh, getting what you needed for your story. Yeah, I, we we traded a couple of long emails basically, mm-hmm. and I had read work, so I had read. Before I started, I, I think I read a finished version of issue one, and then the maybe maybe there was some other scripts. And then Joe's super nice guy. I've, well, I've always kind of known him, but not well. Because mm-hmm. I did, back in the day, I, I was doing Spider-Man covers while he was writing Spider-Man. Yeah. So it's that kind of like you know of someone, and maybe you've said hello, but you don't know them that well. Mm-hmm. But he's very supportive and very nice. Wrote me a nice long letter. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting was he... You know, was was he wanted me to do well, and so he offered me some advice. And one one of the things he offered me was, you know, whatever villain you choose, you know, try to give him, you know, a real life, a real story, of course, all that stuff. And we don't want just a mustache twirling villain. And I thought, no, we don't. But but what if we did? Like, what if the mustache twirling was in itself an archetype? And what if I could use actual mustache twirling? as part of the villain's first appearance. So I actually drew him twirling his mustache, um, not, not to push back against Straczynski, but actually to say, oh, what if you could do that weird thing that has become a cliche, but what's the, I think the cliches happen for a reason. So like, what if you could reinvest mm-hmm. in, that, in that cliche? So I, I, I drew him a mustache that he could twirl as, as kind of a way to like, again, just as a, a 
thematic like return to core yeah return to center like all those weird things like what if what if you could reinvest and, and try to build a cool real character but also have him twirl his mustache maybe that would maybe that would make it extra better or extra good or extra something that, i don't know i have these yeah. weird ideas sometimes that i just chase out for fun <laughs> yeah no speaking of, of, of weird ideas i mean straczynski was also the architect for jason the wheeled warriors <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can make these. I love that. You know, I, yeah. read, I read a Straczynski screenwriting book way back when. I think before I ever met him, uh, it was a very good book. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a great. He's a great writer. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, uh, the story. I, I liked a lot of the things you said there. The um, the book itself. It is. Uh, it's it's set in this bigger universe. You obviously don't have to read the other parts of uh, the Upshot kind of universe and everything's created to understand it. I mean, it, it helps, but it's not it's not required reading. It doesn't completely connect, um, or at least it's it, sorry. It, it doesn't um, it doesn't hurt your your enjoyment of the story if you haven't read any of the other material. Um, but I think if you did read the, if you read Erratic and you enjoyed it, it, there'd be a lot that you could get into there. And so I think it's a nice entry into those other books. You know, I always thought like of it like this. Like when I was a kid. I read Spider-Man and my older brother read X-Men. And they're both in the same universe, and I had no interest in reading X-Men at the time. It was, mm-hmm. the, it was you know, the, 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 the heyday of the Chris Claremont soap opera heyday, and I was just too young. I didn't want romance and soap operas in my book books. I just wanted, like, Spider-Man, basically, kicking some butt. Mm-hmm. So, but I always found it so interesting that you could have different, not just different characters, but different uh, genres in that same universe. You know, so I intentionally wrote erratic to exist totally on its own, but still have still work within the Dostoevsky universe, basically. Yeah, it uh, well, I mean, so the reception was very strong. Uh, I heard it, it got really good marks, and I think it it definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I saw it rated very high. I really enjoyed it. You have the trade coming out now here imminently, I believe. You may be holding it. I, I can sense. <laughs> I sorry, I was turning my phone up. Um, I. Uh, the trade is coming out. It's coming out in, I believe, on June uh, 9th? Is yes. That, I, 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 oh. Beginning of June, so relatively close. The trade yep. is coming out right away, and um, uh, I'm pretty excited. Like, it's 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 fun. I, I'm a weird creator in that I don't have a lot of books in collected form, per se. I've got Spider-Man Reign. I've got my Iron Fist run. I've got, um, I don't know. Uh, but I've been I've been working at these comics for a couple decades now. But the amount of just like self-contained graphic novels that are available for me are are are, are, are not a lot. So this is another addition in my in my small library. Uh, so it's pretty fun. I, I love having them come out and love being able to hold them in my hands and open the pages. You know, I love books. Like I love holding things. Yeah. Um, do you have any, has, has there been any conversation or do you have any sense of if, uh, if it is it, AWA in terms of their strategy, they're doing these series, these limited series and they're out to trade. Is there a sense that the trade is going to have more life than the original series just in kind of how they're doing it? Or do, are there any conversations like that in terms of how the books are being kind of marketed and put, put out? I'm not sure, to be honest. I have not had those conversations with AWA, so I'm not sure exactly what their, their greater goals are as a company mm-hmm. in terms of the, the the back material um i know that this is a universe they're invested in and they're expanding and they're proud of and they, and they want they're very interested in doing more in it so i think just that excitement alone will probably continue to drive some interest on their part in having these trades available and 
and probably the the audiences. Their audience, you know, what happens generally with these new universes. And I saw this happen with Valiant when um, when Warren took over Valiant uh, Simmons. Is that as one book becomes successful, it builds an audience, and that audience is interested in that company as a as a whole, and so they will start to digest the other books that kind of exist within that same space. This is, this is natural. Like if you're mm -hmm. if you're a Buffy fan, maybe you'll start watching Angel or whatever, you know. So I think I'm sure that will happen naturally. Yeah. I, I I mean, it feels like where they're at, because it's a relatively new universe, they've got some kind of tight control over or kind of the shared output. I imagine their audience is going to be probably uh, uh, probably larger um, in, in the sense of, of their trade audience. I, mean, I, I would be, I would guess a lot of people from day one kind of bought into this trade idea. And so I'm, I'm just I'm curious to see how that plays out. They're a little bit of a different experiment than what Marvel and DC do. Yeah, um, sure. I, mean, I know with Image, right? Image really became a became began to focus on their trades. Yeah. And I think it provided short-term gains. Like, here's the 999 trade and it's like, "Oh, okay, well let's push these trades." And I think cuz I think there was a lot of maybe the finances were better for the trades, the marketing's easier for the trades, the trades going to bookstores. Mm -hmm. But these are trade-offs for that situation. So, if you overfocus on the trades, what happens then is you start creating series that don't sell well because people start because you're so focused on the trades. Right. The customer knows they can wait out, buy that first season at a discount, and then maybe just start, you just become a trade waiter. Yep. Like, it's a weird balance. This comic book industry is such a weird balance of, <laughs> I sure. like the weekly experience. Like, I grew up loving Wednesdays. Like, mm -hmm. that store, and I'd buy my DVDs on Tuesdays, my comics on Wednesdays, and I would yep. love the anticipation of what's going to show up. I didn't re really ever know what was going to show up at the store. And that was part of the experience of just like going there, buying, shopping. Like it was fun, fun, fun to do that. And it, it was fun to set your week a little bit. I, I mean, I. It sounds like one of the things we've lost with kind of how the drops and things are happening now is that it, you could you could look forward to new things every day in a week, just in how stuff would would shake out. I, I missed that. So yeah, one uh, of the trades. The trades are really cool too because now you can put them on a bookshelf. They wouldn't get destroyed. You could line them up. You could see the spines. I mean, yeah. I remember even buying like. Uh, Arkham Asylum when it came out when I was a kid like it was oh a hardcover it's a real book look everyone it's real art like you know it was like a, <laughs> it was like a fun a fun thing to do but if you overemphasize the trades you actually destroy the floppies if you overemphasize the floppies you destroy the trades if you overemphasize digital you destroy, destroy both you lose the comic book stores then you lose your whole industry if you overemphasize the comic book stores well no one's reading digital and there's a whole audience out there that you can't reach like it's a very interesting juggling it's such a weird industry, like especially now when sales are a bit anemic. <clears throat> I don't know how it's going to resolve. Like it's just, I think for, again for myself, I try not to worry about that because I think the true answer is just if you could focus on anything, it would be like what what's the best work I can do today in a comic book. Mm -hmm. like, I don't get worried too much about like oh is everyone going to hate me? Is there people going to get mad at me? Or like how's something going to get received? I know the answer is always, well, I, bet, I better make sure that page looks better than I thought it would look. Like, if I ever feel start to feel that self-doubt, the answer is always, like, how can I make this work even better or, or yeah. better? Like, or I get scared about the industry. Like, is it going to be around tomorrow? Well, the answer is if, if it's a great comic book, the industry will be around tomorrow. So exactly, at least yeah. as an individual creator doing a very small amount of work on my own, my answer for that always is, well, I better make sure that work is as good as it can be. 
Yeah, and like when you're in it, like like something like Erratic. I mean, that was you know a monthly comic five five issues. You were you were doing the bulk of that on your own there. Are you ever working on something like this and going, I cannot believe any comic comes out at all with the amount of work and time and everything that they come out like monthly seems like insane sometimes. Like it's, it's almost like, like it, I, I, it blows my mind because I, I do comics and, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I can't believe anything ever comes out because of how much work and feedback and, you know, coordinating with the team and then distribution. And it's just like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. No, it's nuts. But I think every, I think every industry is like that to be mm -hmm. honest. Like if you're making, if you're a blueberry farmer, Oh my goodness. Like to get the workers to do your fields, to then have the company distributed it to then to like depend on this global supply chain that may break down because of a global wide pandemic. Like it's such a great, like everything's so crazy. Like our reach is so beyond what any one person can do. It's a very strange world that we live in. And you have all these areas of supply chain breakdown. And to be honest, I think the reason why I often write, draw, ink, sometimes color my own stuff is mostly because I just, I just don't have to depend on other people to get the work out. Like it's slower, but I don't have to worry if my inker is having a bad day or breaks his arm. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I know it's all on you for better or worse. Can get it done, but but because of that, my output is is somewhat diminished. Like I can't. I'm not like in John Romita Jr.'s heyday. What was he doing? Two and a half books a month. Yeah, two and a half books a month. In I think Mark Wade was writing seven a month or something like that. Like mm -hmm. it was just these machines are just unstoppable. Oh. But uh, but then at what cost? So the yeah. weird part is like Jeff Smith Bone. What's weird about his run on Bone is after he did completed Bone, he started working with a novelist to then write more Bone. And Jeff Smith drew that bone. And it was kind of cool, but it was nowhere near as cool as when Jeff Smith wrote his own bone. And yeah. I know as someone who writes and draws my own stuff, I am fully aware I am not the greatest writer. When you can't, I am fully aware I'm not the greatest inker, fully aware I'm not the greatest colorist. I know this to my core. Like I'm probably, I think, you know, I do well in any of those areas, but because I do all those different jobs at once, the product is unique. And when Jeff Smith stopped writing his own bone, the product became less unique, probably better written, quote unquote. This art was exactly the same, but I'm so much less interested in that product. And so I think there is this weird thing yeah. in art where sometimes the fly is the feature. And so, <laughs> so, let me give you a story. So I was for Iron Fist with Axel. He was like, uh, I threw my Iron Fist pitches. It was great. And I, I threw my first issue script. And then we had a phone call. And part of that phone call was like, I can't remember what it was, but there's some concerns about the story. And I was so, I just had to let it out there. I was like, listen, you, you I can't. If you ask me to write a story like another comic artist or comic writer would traditionally write a story, I don't even want to write it. Like, okay. I have no interest in being another iteration of the same sort of machine. Mm -hmm. And so when I write a story, it's going to have a lot of flaws. It's going to have a lot of warts. 
it's going to feel quote unquote erratic, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah. like, because I'm writing from a totally different skill set, totally different perspective. And I have a true belief that because that difference is so palpable and because the flaw is so real, it will provide a unique experience that you cannot get from someone else. Like you cannot, no one else, no other team could make erratic because the flaws are what make the work signature. Much like yeah. a David Lynch Dune. I love David Lynch's Dune. Mm -hmm. That movie is horribly flawed. Yeah, it's There's something because of the flaw that makes the movie, whereas you may have the most polished, refined, new version of some movie that just fades away and is forgotten. So it's Spider-Man Rain. There's parts of Spider-Man Rain that are drawn horribly. There's parts of Spider-Man Rain that are written awkwardly, and sometimes it's too much, and sometimes it's too crazy, and sometimes it's, it's too much dialogue. But I know that if I went back and tried to fix it, it would lose whatever it was. If I tried to re-edit Star Wars four times, it won't get better. It'll get worse. Even though technically it might get better, yep. it'll get worse every time I touch it again. So it's this weird, always this weird battle. And you're really aware of it when you write and draw your own work that that the, it's supposed to be, it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to not work on some level. It's supposed to, like the error, like here's the supermodels. Yeah. The most famous supermodels always have some weird, messed up thing about their face. They're never the most beautiful person. But yeah. just like, because there's something weird and messed up about their face, it makes you lean in. And it makes you, huh? Like, that's a little, that's a little unique. And what's unique? The flaw. So it's like, I don't know. I just I try to embrace it. I try to embrace that aspect of creativity. It's unique. I, I think that's the the aspect. When, whenever we've seen a movie or music where it's like over studio produced or it, whatever it happens to be, there's there's a place where it loses its authenticity. It loses its uniqueness, and it feels very, very by the numbers. The colors are perfect. The shading is everything is is exactly to spec. But as a result, it it has no soul to it. So it's it it just you, you can't really grasp onto it as a piece of art. I, I don't. It is. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something there. Maybe maybe there's something there that. There's no soul. There's no flaw. Like maybe your soul is the flaw. Like maybe the yeah. flaws you have as a person are the are what's actually the true thing, and everything else is doesn't matter. Like yeah. maybe, you know maybe it's like in like there's this in like this Japanese carpentry thing where they intentionally create. I've heard. Yeah, that's well, true. I've, I've heard, heard they intentionally create a, a flaw in their in whatever they're making mm -hmm. uh, with intention with because. The idea is you can never try to create something perfect. So if you if you create your own your own uh, flaw, it's actual perfection. It's yes, it it's a like way to have uh, control in an uncontrollable universe. It's it's your ability to kind of shape what cannot be controlled. It's uh, yeah, it's it's it, that's interesting applied to comics. I, I think you know if you look though at, at kind of the stuff that we remember. Um, through the years, the, the kind of the key pieces of work that kind of stands up, there's usually some rough edge, some flaw to it. It's not, it's not the, uh, the, the publisher produced safe bet that gets remembered over years. It's there's, there's other pieces to it. Um, no, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I've done the reviews. I really liked Erratic. Uh, I liked what you did. I did like that it felt like a return to kind of superhero storytelling, and we haven't seen that for a while. It is weird to think that a, just a superhero origin story is is unique now. It's, it's... Not, just, not just unique. I would call it subversive. Yeah. So it's it, subversive it, 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 to just have a straight-up archetype right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about that earlier today, too, about like how like uh, Reed Richards, for example, 
they subverted him into being like basically evil like oh he's so smart and cold and calculating that he's like kind of bad and and now when you do read richards and he's just like the old reed richards that's subverting expectations of the readers like oh he's he's just a father wow <laughs> this is this is insane uh it's it it's so weird how how a lot of that's gone on in decades with multiple characters but but reed i think was someone who stood out to me same thing with professor x like making professor x like a bad guy and um and now that's like kind of like the d it would be weird if he just cared about the students he was teaching at this point yeah like, would, yeah i think so i, I mean yeah. that's kind of my behind uh, amazing fantasy to be honest which is also coming out later this month which, which we, were, we were talking about but Part of that urge was the same merge with the basic fantasy. Like when I think of Spider-Man, I think of Teenage Spider-Man immediately. Everything else is an iteration outwards. Even when he's twenty, even when you know, in his early twenties, out of school. When I think of Captain America, I think of World War II Captain America immediately. That's the first image in my in my brain. And I thought the urge for Amazing Fantasy was like, well, how do I? I could always tell a Teenage Spider-Man tale. I could always tell a World War II Captain America tale. But how do I come up with a situation where I can use both those my first image of both those characters in the same story? Um, and then I came up with like, oh well, what about Spy School Black Widow? Like when I think of Black Widow, I think of the KGB Russian like anti-hero. I don't think of like fighting for Shield and like I think of like the spy. So I thought, oh, what what if I could do with them all? What if I could just do all my favorite versions of the favorite characters? as archetypes and put them in the same story together and just let them be who they are at the core and see yeah. you know that that also made me think of uh, something incredibly depressing which is uh the time more or less lines up that if you launched avengers now like that avengers number one if that came out now cap would have been frozen in, during afghanistan <laughs> <laughs> Be a well, you Cap Rosen's World War Two, but definitely Spider-Man would have been born in the '90s or '80s yeah. or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, early '90s. Yeah, not uh, Jesus. That's that's kind of depressing to think about. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, Amazing Fantasy. I, I did so. Tell us about the origins of that book. It it, it it's um, this looks very daring for what Marvel typically does. I'm I'm extremely excited to read it. I, I think it's it's looks very different from a lot of the things they're putting out right now. So how how did this how did this come about? Well, I was just looking for something to do um, with Marvel again, and um, I fit in better at Marvel when I do an out of continuity thing. Sure, it both like I I I I'm like I just believe that you can never make a. Dark Knight Returns is part five of a twelve-part event written by multiple writers and drawn by multiple artists. I just don't, I just don't believe as an artist that's what I'm interested in. I think those right. events are cool, and as a consumer, why not? Like, oh my goodness, yeah, I'll have everyone work on this one big tale and love it. But as a creator, I just have never had interest in like participating participating in something like that. Um, so. What that's done is it's it's given me a career as doing kind of odd, out of continuity things, even if it's Iron Fist and that's a monthly book. Um, I just have more 
inspiration in kind of a walled off walled off stories with walled off characters mm -hmm. so by definition i was looking for something to do a bit out of the norm i want to use multiple art styles that's something i want to do in a long time because i do it normally but i usually i do it i do one art style per project but i've always wanted to do a book where i could draw a couple different ways and it makes sense in the same story and again i was interested in these archetypes which i feel like mm -hmm feel like the, it's so subversive in a good way mm -hmm. to um, to just grab onto the archetypes and use them the way everyone knows them. Like I thought that's the most subversive, in a, in a world where everything's iterated so far outwards and there's 12 yeah. different versions of Captain America, 10 different versions yeah. of She-Hulk and like I just felt it was like, like, I don't know. It just it just made me uh, feel a bit devilish to to just go teenage Spider-Man World War II Captain America. Like it just, it just made me feel like a a bit a bit uh, naughty to just go back and just like put those, put those out of the out there and just like hey how about how about this guys? It's crazy that 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 we're kind of at the. I mean, it's crazy to hear that out loud. You're right, um, but it's 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 strange because it is a lot of we've we've seen books over the last 10 years or so where they do like this spider-man life story series that went out and and some of the what if stuff that's uh, been done peter david's been doing some things with spider-man and they they get a very strong positive reaction and in each one you're seeing a kind of stripped down version of the character well stripped down of all the baggage that's come up over the last two or three decades it's back to the core which is a bit what you're describing that that always does well but the company often then reverts back to, and now we got to bring in all the rest of the stuff again for the ongoing series. Um, I think you're on to it, it. It's strange to think that going to the core of a character is subversive, but I, I think you're right. That's very weird to contemplate. And I don't think it's intent. I don't think anything about this is, is intentional. I just think, you know, the comics, they, there's so much story that needs to be generated so, sure. oh, yeah. Yeah. so often. Like just, you just by definition have to iterate outwards because there's right. the only way to go unless you kind of reboot and go back to the core. But I think that's a natural creative process. And if you're the first one to iterate outwards, well, that's exciting and new and fresh. Yeah, you're doing yeah. it. I just always want to zig when the world is zagging. It's just yeah. my flaw. Sure. But, uh, maybe that you know I try to I try to make the feature make it a feature and not a flaw. But that's that's right. always what I want to do. Right. Like, yeah, with covers, I want to. I was one of the first digital cover painters. Yep. But now that everyone's painting digitally, I've got my airbrush back out again. Like I just, I don't know. There's something that's fun in just like going against the masses. Yeah. Like, look yeah. over here, guys. You know, like I want to be that guy. Like look over I, here. Like I love it. Yeah. Yeah, but like another point though, you were you were mentioning about like not being able to do something like a Dark Knight Returns uh, in a main book in large part because there are so many artists that go into like a story once it's a certain length. That's in in the grand scheme of things of, of comics from their like modern existence going back, you know, over eighty years. It's fairly new. There used to be very long runs. Like artists could just be on books for for a long time. Like Jack Kirby did like over a hundred issues of Fantastic Four. Like just, just did it. Like that's not like and, and yeah, that's exceptional. But for the most part, you, you could have like you, you had the burn run on you know Fantastic Four X Men. You'd you'd have John Romita have long runs on things like. There was a time where you could potentially do that, but 
when it comes to mainstream books right now, it's exceptional. I, I, I've noticed at least, I could be wrong, but when I look at books, if, if, a, if an artist is on a book for more than five issues straight on a mainstream book without a fill-in or something, I'm blown away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a multi-part situation. <clears throat> I think if I could just, if I, I think the quick answer is just these days, most artists are given five weeks to do one issue. Mm-hmm. So just by definition, you can't do a monthly book with five weeks per issue. I mean, you can do almost a monthly book with five weeks per issue. Yeah. I think that, I think another part of that question is what happened to our interior artists? When I was a kid, my favorite artist drew interiors. They blew you away. I, I could care less who drew the cover. I was about the insides of the book. Mm-hmm. And then the image happened. Mm-hmm. And those interior artists were probably put on a, on a pedestal greater than they could carry. Mm-hmm. And as a reaction, the company started um, supporting the writers. And then the writers were, that worked out well for companies because a writer could carry five books a month. And you'd right. be like, this superstar writer gives you five buying choices every month. Let's all buy in. Let's increase our revenues. The unintentional consequence of that is that the interior artists became so devalued mm-hmm. that there was very little point for the greatest artists in comics to draw insides anymore. Yeah. Right now, I get more time and I get paid more and I get more recognition if I do a cool variant cover than if I drew the inside of some comic that someone else wrote for some company. Like, it's just, there's very little incentive for a comic book artist. Now, here's the weird thing. Yeah. It may not sound like a big deal. Like, just suck it up, draw the comics, they'll come back. Here's the weird thing, though. (laughs) And you know this. And Joe, don't don't get too offended here, but Mm -hmm. I could give you the worst written comic book and put a AAA artist on it. Mm-hmm. Travis Charay inside into your art. Oh my God! Would still love it so much. Sure. Reading it, that Travis Charay comic book. I don't care who, how badly it was written. Just seeing the art sparkle would be like amazing. If I went the other way, Alan Moore, but the worst artist possible, it immediately becomes unreadable. Not mm-hmm. just like I don't enjoy it. Like if you have terrible art, mm-hmm. unreadable. So it's like a weird sure. balance of like great art. Great writing together is what you want. That's, the, that's everything. Sometimes that can be the same person. Often it's not. But right now, those interior artists are so devalued. So devalued. There's, It's like, I mean, I would love to see the new Todd McFarlane drawing a Spider-Man book and just find someone and follow them and discover them and track their careers. But like, it's just it's just a it's just a bit out of balance right now, and I think mm-hmm. part of the problem is is the movies in a weird way. Mm-hmm. The movies have overvalued the writing because in Hollywood, the writer is considered the originator of ideas. Right. Because in contract law, that's a law that's written in language and words, and so if you if I write up a like a character description, I can sell that to a studio, they can make a movie, I can be listed as the creator of that character, and all I did is write a, a paragraph. Mm-hmm. If I did a sketch of a character, it's almost meaningless in Hollywood. It's almost worthless, because mm-hmm. you have your own team of the best concept artists in the world 
that will draw you whatever you want when you're directing a movie. Yep, yep. And in a weird way, because we're so obsessed, our culture has been so obsessed with film and television and especially IP contract law, which is, again, a word-based language. Mm. Just culturally, we haven't supported the drivers of comic books as the drivers of comic books, which is the artists, to be honest. Like, again, you want, ultimately, you want the best writer with the best artist and working together to make that amazing souffle or whatever you're making. Yeah. Um, but, but how many writers has Hollywood plucked out of comics and like given a, given a deal? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I could, I could name you at least, at least 12. I thought off the, just in five minutes. Mm-hmm. How many amazing artists has happened to? None, zero, mm-hmm. not even one. And it's because again, in Hollywood, the writer is seen as the writer of the screenplay. They get the residuals. That's what you want. They get the money. They get all the stuff in contract law, again, written in words. But the greatest artists in Hollywood are not the people who draw. They're directors. The greatest mm-hmm. artists in Hollywood are the ones that then transform the words that someone else wrote into the thing, and they get the credit. They just hire the visual artists to draw the stuff for them. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird, like, I think this obs- this and the obsession is dying, at least in feature films. They're going away now that we're kind of more obsessed with streamers. But that weird paradigm, it doesn't translate into comics. And because it overpowers comics, I think it's really subverted the, the medium in, in unintentional ways. And how do you fix that? I think the only way to fix it is, is right now to have artists return to the interiors of the books. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, either you pay them a lot of money because they're getting paid more money to do covers. Mm-hmm. Most publishers probably don't have the budget. Well, what do you do then? Well, you can't offer them uh, a, a book that they write and draw. Mm-hmm. That's something you can do. Now, not every artist wants to write. It's hard and mm-hmm. humiliating and awkward. <laughs> and, and, like, just to write something that makes sense is hard enough, let alone be good. Sure. Like, I'm, I struggle all the time. I know I'm not, I'm not the best writer, but I think the struggle is what I need to do. So I do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's like, how do, that's, for me, that's the question. How do we incentivize artists to come back to the interiors? The easy, easiest thing I can think of is just writer artists, but not everyone wants to do it. What's mm-hmm. next? I don't know. Page rates, but the money's not there. I don't, I don't know. That's the, to, to me, that's the big question. There, yeah, there, there's a few things, I guess. Uh, you know, co-plotters like um, having artists that are invested in the story that are dictating whether they're not actually, you know, they might not be writing the dialogue, but they're like, this is the story I want to tell and we're going to work on it together. The secret of Stan Lee, right? Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, uncredited co-plotters. Yeah, you know, that. uh, Another thing too, though, I think uh, just by everything that's been going on the past couple of years, uh, what you're saying with the you know, you know the writers and kind of taking over, which which has been a thing for the past couple of decades, yeah. it seems like it is crumbling. Like we have reached that point where something's going to have to change because it's not working anymore. Like I, I think we've seen a lot of these like writer stunts uh, where you know they try to get a celebrity or a, the son of a oh, celebrity. Isn't that the worst? The yeah. worst. The worst. I mean, sometimes by accident it works out, but usually yeah. it just seems so 
Because I think inherently we know it's not true. We know it's a trick. Exactly. You get yeah. Halle Berry to co-write a comic book. It's not because she's a great writer. It's because you're trying to trick people into buying it so that you can get your movie deal that then Halle Berry can star in. It's all a big trick, a big scam. And I think we recognize that it's a scam. Yeah. It's, it's, it, is a, it is a broken system. I do think that we, like Joe said, I think we're, we're crumbling to a point where when I say crumbling, I don't mean the industry is crumbling. The, the industry is still bringing in money and everything else, but yeah. there's there's a, um, I don't know the right word, frantic. There's an erratic. <laughs> there's a pace there. Um, you're seeing events go from, you know, two a year to four a year or to six a year or eight or on top of each other. You see the next event advertised before the first event has begun. And you, you're just, you're seeing this acceleration of all this stuff. I think the uh, Penguin Random House deal is going to push things in a different direction as well, just in terms of how they're going to count numbers and, and all that. We're hitting this breaking point, not like the industry is is on life support, but rather a bunch of, of things. The pressure has built up to where it's going to pop, and we're going to have to start seeing some other things. And I, I do think the writer-artist as a combo is, is – I think we'll see more of it, more projects like yours. Um, I think co-plotting there, – there's just – there's a lot of – differences and, and and in this weirdest way i'm, I'm now optimistic because i'm hoping that companies are going to go to this uh archetype model for some of their characters that they've messed around with so much yeah, I'm, I'm not a nihilist at all i'm not yeah. I, i'm an optimist i think this industry i think the quicker these superhero movies can tank can start tanking the the faster the comeback of comics will be because the trick was right we were told and i believe this when i was growing up these would be the best movies Oh my God! I love these characters so much. What if everyone, everyone should know about these characters? Everyone should know. How can we get yes. to know? Yeah. These were movies. Everyone would know these characters are so amazing. What happens? They made the movies. That spark of life that are in superheroes embedded in them were, showed up in the movies, and yes. everyone did turn towards them. And everyone loved those movies. Everyone loved the movies. Yep. Not just did they not care about the comics they came from that some of that same audience that was getting that spark, the good stuff in comic books, they left comic books because the movies are so powerful. I've had so many experiences in my life where it's like, what do you do for a job? Oh, I, you know, I do some comic books, I do some film work, I do mostly for Marvel. Marvel Comics, I love Marvel Comics. And then they list off all the movies they've seen. But yeah. I know they haven't looked at a single, <laughs> a single issue. And that's cool, that's fine. And I think those yeah. movies are important because... These, the superhero archetype, I think, is an archetype. Like, why why is superhero so important in life? Because I think it gives you a guide to addressing the horrors of life in a very distilled format that yeah. is safe, empowering. There's a lot of embedded truths in that experience, and I love that people can get it in cinema because the power of cinema is overwhelming. But everything cycles. The westerns failed after a certain amount of time. As soon as the superhero movie, superhero movies start failing in a large way, I think there will be a mass return to comic books because those character, what gives those movies life is borrowed from another medium, to be honest. Like, movies didn't create the superhero genre. Uh -huh. Like, comics created that genre. That visual narrative experience of, like, how to, what to do when evil comes to find you, because it will, right? Like, you know through life that Things come to you all the time, and sometimes they're your fault. Sometimes you let the robber go, and it kills your uncle, and like you have to learn these hard lessons. And like 
man, I, I fall down hard all the time. I hurt people I love. I like, I, but I try to get back up and I, tr I try to be just like Spider-Man. Like he taught me how to live that guy. Mm. So I find that those truths, like why we resonate with those cores, those archetypes, those characters is because yeah. there is truth inside them. And if I can try to get that truth back on the page of comics, then I think the power is in the comics. And when I watch some trailers of newly announced, newly announced movies iterate away from the core of what they're supposed to be, all I do is smile because it's like that Green Lantern movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds, mm -hmm. who killed it as Deadpool. But no one likes that Green Lantern movie. And not because it's a bad movie, because it has nothing to do with the Green Lantern character. It yeah. deviated from the core so far that the character became unrecognizable, and those filmmakers thought people would follow him because of his suit, forgetting that the core, the engine, the source of life is in that character itself. So yeah. I think, as soon as, again, I just I think we're just around the corner from a big return to comics, to be honest. Yeah. But, I love that. No, for, for sure. But I mean, like, the thing is, with a movie, like, if a movie was more like a comic, there would be about 12 alternating directors. The <laughs> actors would constantly be changing because you'd have different artists. So, you know, it would be, you, you know, you, you'd have Robert Downey Jr., then it's Tom Cruise, then it's Mel Gibson, then it's back to Robert Downey Jr., then we're Tom Cruise. It, you know, like, it would... Yeah. That's part of why I, I think people like a, a movie is you can just get a whole consistent experience over the course of a movie, and, and you can't in in comics right now. Well, you could. I can make the argument that a TV show is like is that is that way. Often. Sure. I mean, despite the casting, the casting doesn't usually change. But yeah. in most in most shows, the director, the episodic director, is different from episode to episode. Sure. Yeah. You know, your showrunner generally stays the same, same season for season, but even that switches off every every couple seasons, you know, creative conflict, they get the boot, something yeah. like that. And I don't think, I don't want to pit movies against conflicts. No, I no, no. That, like the, the, the source of life that is distilled in the pages has been borrowed by another medium for a little while, and at some point it'll, it'll, it'll return. I, I wonder, it, it's, you're, you're making me think a little bit about kind of some of the conversations I've had around movies and comics and, and people who've, who've kind of they've said the same thing. They come to, I love Marvel and I, they list the movies. It's, do you think that you know, the movies are, are basically taking years and years of comics They're showing us the, the best moments in two hours. It's really distilled down to no filler and you're getting all that kind of that, those actions, those big moments, these, these scenes that you kind of maybe imagined in your head, or you're seeing them play off then on the screen. And then the comics have in some ways retreated a bit to telling more of these decompressed kind of stories like it feels like in some ways comics may have ceded some ground to the movies to say the big moments can happen there and we'll kind of bide our time a little bit and i'm i'm, I'm now I, I don't know how i think about this, this is a newer thought but it's uh listening to you i wonder if movies start to lag a little bit Will that then naturally bring the tide back to comics to, you know, say we, we do have to create these huge moments in comics again? And it, it's not enough to have an, a year go by where, you know, we're doing some kind of padded schedule. I, I don't know. It, it, you're, you're bringing up a lot of, of things I hadn't thought about before, which is awesome. Um, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I, think, I think the movies accidentally reinvested in the core of the characters because most of these characters, even Captain America, the general public didn't really know anything about. 
Right. So they, no, they knew the name. They knew kind of what he looked like, but they had to tell that first Captain America's movie with him being in World War II because that's at the core of his character. And now that they've done that, every other movie is an iteration away from that core. And at some point, the power of the characters will get lost in the movie experience because they've iterated too far away from the core of the character. Yeah. And then the movies, I think, should, if they want to stay relevant, reboot and go back. <laughs> just, just like they keep trying to do with, uh, I don't know, Superman or whatever. Like, yeah. like a Spider-Man. There have been at least three different Spider-Man movie runs. And mm-hmm. each time they have to reboot to the core of the character, not because they run out of ideas, but actually that's where the power of the character is in that in his origin story is where his true power is, the lesson he learns. So the comic books, I don't really know too much. I think the comic books fell into a TV trap. Mm-hmm. And what is TV? It's low stakes, high character. Yeah. And how do the best movies these days compete against TV by being high stakes, low character? So whether it's Mad Max, George Miller, or, or whoever, it's like this thing that TV can no longer provide. Because TV can outcompete movies in character and plot. Right. TV cannot out, outcompete movies in just money and spectacle and like simplicity. Like you wouldn't watch 12 episodes of a simple, simple plotted show. Maybe you would. Maybe, maybe just to subvert it, you would. Uh, someone, please steal that and let's do it. But... Mm-hmm. But a movie, I think the most powerful movie right now is just a paper-thin plot that is George Miller, Mad Max. He's got to drive one way and then drive the other way back. And because it's so simple, it feels so new and so fresh and so overwhelming. You're like, this is the greatest movie ever, and I don't know why. But if you try to do that as a uh, season of Homeland, where right. Matheson <laughs> drives to Russia and then drives back... Over you know thirteen episodes, I I don't know if you'd watch the whole thing. Like there are ways to outcompete in comic books. So I love I love doing things in comics that you cannot do in movies. I yeah. love playing with sound effects. I love playing with the design of pages, using the design of pages as a storytelling device in itself. I love the things finding those things that comic books can do that you can't do in any other medium. And for me, like when I do a comic book, I'm not pretending to be a TV show. I'm not pretending to be a movie. When I do an Otto Jones, I'm not doing it to, to sell Netflix as like, it's so unadaptable. It's so crazy. Like, I love that energy, that frenetic, early Frank Miller, Jim Steranko, Jack Kirby energy that cannot be translated into any other medium. Like those crazy people were doing things in comics that you can only do in comics. And, I th- yeah. and for me, it's like the way, the way is just to, to find those things again. So, yeah, to, to build off on your, your point there, uh, I think the past, like, decade or so, we have seen more comics that seem to be conscious of, of what it would take to adapt it. Yeah. So you're seeing more grounded comics, and and also, to, to your point, you're, you're seeing a deprioritization of the interior art, where maybe you'll get a, a big-name writer, and they'll find a... a cheaper artist or an artist within their budget that can do this story that's mostly people talking in a room or, or, or you know, it's really like it's high drama, but the you could tell that the budget would be pretty low and, and that it's clearly made uh, to be adaptable in other, other mediums. And, and I think that's another thing we're, we're starting, like people are starting to get sick of, but um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you notice that stuff the past, like, yeah. decade, and you wonder how how we kind of 
get here and, and what you're saying kind of like yeah, well, you know how we got you know yeah. how we got here it's because oh, yeah, yeah. movies are so are so prestigious some mm -hmm. of the comics are a shortcut to another medium yeah and like um they can be yeah if you're, if you're a, a famous writer you can yeah. trick your way into another medium through comics but this this the truth is also like if you if if you can figure that out you could have probably skipped comics to begin with because it's not that hard to break into writing television. It's not that hard to break into writing movies. Like uh, I, I broke in as a director having nothing to do with my comic book career. That was a separate career sure. that I concurrently started. Yeah. Like it's a separate job. So if you're like Mark Millar, if he just started in TV, he would still be where he is in a different way. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, those it's a, the trick is works both ways because it's both, it's also a distraction. So if you if it's true, here's the the, the 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 truth is, if you are using comics solely as a trick to get into another medium, you will not survive that other medium. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because that trick Absolutely. is just a is just one step towards a career, and you can't make every step a trick. Like you run yes. out of tricks real fast, and I think you've seen a lot of writers run out of tricks. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and. and I think it's so funny. The, wait, what's the worst? What's the worst comic book you ever read? It's always the trick into a Netflix deal. It's always the trick into a movie. It's always the trick to get something else because there's no truth in it. You read the comic book and it's so it's so false. Right. It's it's, it's a blatant. Like, yeah. It's like staring at a psychopath or something like that, and and and, and wanting love in return, and and it's just like it's, you just get revolted by the by the deception. And and comics, uh, the the industry, I think, unfortunately. Uh, Asked for it in a lot of ways with the oh, amount yeah. of with the yeah. all I you see publishers bending over backwards constantly to get screenwriters. No one's heard it. They don't have a, they're not a household name. I know. They sound cool to people within TV and maybe comic executives, but no one knows who these people are. They pay them more money than people who broke into comics because they love comics. And it doesn't work the other way. There are no executives in Hollywood who are like, what we really need here is a comic book writer. <laughs> I know. I know. Here's, the, here's the funny thing is like, uh, when they when they do a superhero TV show, mm -hmm. they specifically do not want comic book writers on those shows because they look down on comic book writers. That's the truth. Right. Yeah. They look down on comic book creators. They see these are studios. I'm not. I'm not everyone, of course. Obviously, there are a lot of fans because a lot of people have risen up to loving comic books. But in general, sure. when they're staffing a show, they might think it's cool you do comics, but really, they probably just like your writing, anyways. And then, oh, maybe, sure. maybe, oh, you're writing She-Hulk or something. Oh, that's kind of that's extra cool. Okay, put them on the put them on the show, but. But 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 they're not going to be like who's writing She-Hulk? Let's give them a chance. Like it's like it's like it's yeah. not, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's not gonna I mean, work. Like it's, it's very we saw that. I mean, yeah. it's not play out. Uh, but fifteen years ago, where there was an attempt to bring some comic book writers into movies, and it it, it was rejected pretty aggressively. Um, but the entire concept of having this yeah. advice. Well, I don't think you've never seen more comic writers writing television now because yeah. because. A good writer will a good writer will transition to another medium if, if they if they set their their skills to, towards absolutely yeah so oh, for sure 
But, but it works the other way, too. Like, if you, you can have a famous novelist and ask them into the comic medium and just watch them fail spectacularly. Like, you know, it's like such a specific, the, the patterns, the, what, the, the expectations, the, 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 the rhythm. Uh, like, if, if you have the, the master limerick writer and you, and you bring them into the world of haikus, like, they're, without understanding how to write a haiku, it's just going to fail. And you've seen that with yeah. Hollywood, too. Oh, famous director, come write a comic book for us. Like, and they have no idea what they're doing. Like it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's a weird, it's a it's a weird thing. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I I have stories from people. I'm sure you all do too. Of like that, I, I know people who who write TV who have agents, and their agents hate that they do comics and keep telling right. them stop stop doing comics. You're yeah. you're making less of a cut here. Like like you're doing enough TV. Stop taking these gigs. And then you also have comic writers, and they get literary agents. And there's a lot of literary agencies that say they do comics, but they don't really do comics. They like they get people to do a few comic book gigs in the book market, and then they immediately go, okay, we got to get you writing a novel. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many people I know who are, are working on a novel who never wanted to write a novel... But they got an agent, and their agent's like, "What you really need to do, so I make some money here, is sell an album." Yeah, yeah, leaving out that piece of yeah, yeah, and and you get and you're going to get all of these in the next ten years. There's going to be a barrage of horrendous novels or novels that never come out from all these comic writers who they got agents, and all their agents are like, "You, you got to do a prose novel because that's where you make more money." And, and, and yeah, it's all these weird things coming in to try to pull people out of comics. And then it's comics at the same time also being like, please, I'm begging you, take me out of comics. Or anyone else, anyone who hasn't worked in comics, we would rather work with you than anyone in comics. And I think until that core attitude changes, comics isn't going to grow in a healthy way. Well, here's what here's here's I think is interesting. Like, so... People like when I was reading comic books, mm -hmm. it was not considered the cool the cool thing to do. Like growing sure. up, like it was something that I stopped reading from grades ten to twelve because I didn't have the confidence to 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 buy them. And I was chasing girls and sure. you know out with my buddies. And then once I felt like the confidence growing in grade twelve, I was like, I'm going to buy comic books again because because I why not? I deserve it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it was. I didn't wasn't doing it for cool for cool points. And my whole career, like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to break into comic books. Like, what? Why? Like, no one understood it. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't to be uh, looked at by and, and have people tell me how great it was for breaking into comic books. Because when I was breaking in, the comic books, Marvels had declared bankruptcy protection. Every yep. editor I talked to was like, why are you even trying to break in? There won't be comic books in five years. And it was just like, I, you don't understand. And I will draw them for five years because I love them so much. I just need to do comic books. Yep. And the greatest creators all have this innate love of the medium itself. Cool. And so here's what happens. Every time the comic book has a purge, and the purge happens because of bankruptcy. The purge happened because, because all the pretty flowers have died. The purge mm -hmm. happens because people, they're just not buying comic books anymore. The greatest creators of comic books always stay because they love the medium so much. They would, like, you would have to kill them to make them stop making comic books. Mm -hmm. And so when Marvel was in bankruptcy, 
and the industry was on the collapse, you had amazing comic books. Why? Because there was no prestige in making comic books. So you, all those people who just wanted to be like, I don't know, get get famous, quote unquote, or, or get or get get props or, or get held up for 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 touching these heroes that everyone loves, like that wasn't there. Just people who loved him, and that was the most some of the most creative, amazing, innovative. And I think I think to be honest, like every time the comic industry starts starts to collapse, quote unquote. I just think it's great. Like, I, yeah. I, like I, think, I think it's amazing. Like, I think if the compass could just, like, crash a little harder, a little faster, maybe this year, maybe next year, just, like, really kind of, like, get close again, get close. Mm-hmm. Every 20 years, we kind of get close to going out of business. Yep. Yeah. Get rid of those people that aren't in it for, like, the love of the medium. And who are we left with? Just, like, amazing ballers. Like, just people who just can just drive, right? Get that steering wheel to those hands and just, like, here you go, dude, and just watch them fucking tear up the tracks. Like that's what yes, I, want. Yeah. I want the natural purge to happen now, in some way. Yeah. I, I I I agree with you, and it it the the hardest part is sometimes when it feels like it protracts for years, and it, it we we are kind of a little overdue for this natural shift that that does like you said it happens every 20, 15 years. Yeah, this shift occurs, and we are overdue to some extent for it, and and it uh, I think we're going through it now, but I think it's also it's protracted because the movies have done so well; it's almost artificially keeping things trapped, but this pressure continues to build up. And it, it's, I do think a lot of people misread it as the industry is dying. It's not, it's, that's, I think, I, I hate the phrase, because it's not, it's not that it's dying, it's that this natural evolution, this pressure is here. And yeah. we are, we are, we are intercepting it. We're, we're interrupting the natural flow of things. And that's why there's so much tension and it feels awkward. But I do think it breaks free relatively soon. Well, life, I mean, life, the world's made of fractals, right? Every, every pattern fractals out into the same pattern. So if I look at it as, as a creative pattern, I know that sometimes I go down real deep and it's just life is horrible and I can't do any work and I'm horribly be around with and I just, like, it's life is just a struggle. But I know I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to turn back up on the, on the merry-go-round and I'll be at the top, top of my game. Everything is amazing, like I, I, all the successes. And then I know I'm going to crash again. And just as an artist, I know that cycle so well now. I know no matter how bad it gets, at some point I'll go back up. And that's the industry. The industry yeah. almost bottoms out like regularly every 20 years, like you were saying. And like, it's just, it's just, it's, that's why I'm not a, a, a nihilist because I know that the world is not a one-way trip it's like it's like a circle that circle of life as the lion king would have <laughs> it all comes back to disney somehow um yeah there, there's a truth in comic books that exists beyond any other medium and because yeah. that truth is inherent to the medium itself that juxtaposition of image and text in a way that is unique and signature to one medium alone it will always survive and it will always start you know circle back up i love it yeah. Um, boy, it's, it's it's weird to bounce from that to this, but uh, so amazing fantasy does come out here in a few short weeks. I think it's the twenty eighth ish, something like that. And how it, how long is it? What's how long does the series run for? Five issues, and five it's five it's long. Yeah, it's all you, right? Is that the or? Um, it's all me to begin with, and then at about issue three, I'm going to have Brian Reber jump in to help me color. He colored erratic. Yes. Um, with me, so uh, at a certain point, I just wanted to work faster. 
So I, I, uh, Brian's great. We work well together. So he did a great job in erratic. And so uh, I, I asked him to help out with uh, Amazing Fantasy. So, But I'm writing, penciling, and, and inking the whole thing. I'm just finishing inking issue five as we speak. So wow. well ahead. Thanks. The book will be out on time, as, as they say. Mm-hmm. Should be fun. What's the uh, you, you mentioned kind of taking characters to their core? What are, what are some of the other things people should be looking out for for the book? Well, again, like I'm so I just like to subvert stuff. So, okay. <laughs> so can't spoil. Well, we don't want to spoil the surprises. I wanted to put. Um, I was interested in putting. I was interested in the word fantasy in Amazing Fantasy. I think it's it's not an accident that Spider-Man came out of a book called Amazing Fantasy, and we've always chased out the amazing in that in that title. That was his name, the, the Amazing Spider-Man. Right. It turned from the amazing fan, from Amazing Fantasy into the Amazing Spider-Man, but no one I feel has really dug into the fantasy part of that of that first issue he showed up in, and I thought, oh, well, that's that's fun. Like I used to play Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. I used to paint Warhammer and gaming miniatures as a kid. Like. Um, why not have Captain America go full barbarian and like battle orcs? Like, come on! Like, what? That, yeah. that would be amazing. Uh, so there's that. I think you've seen it in preview pages. If you've seen the preview pages, yeah. So like trying to, you know, I just have these weird little. I think your job as a creator is to whatever weird little notion you have, like just dig in, like chase that out. Why? I don't know. That's the... I, it, so there's this quote, there's this quote by... Uh, uh, I forget who said it, but they said that artists should never quite know what they're doing because the act of art is organizing the chaotic thoughts of the unknown. Right? So to do your best art, you should actually be unaware on some degree of what you're doing because if you already know what you're doing, it would just be you would already know the answer and mm-hmm. if you can embed the discovery of answers within the work itself that provides inherent purpose and meaning to the art like why what is art like what what does it mean like if you listen to a song on the radio and you're like oh that's that's interesting i haven't heard that before and then you lean in and you're like oh that's really cool and you mm-hmm. start grouping and then you hear a month later a different artist they have a song that sounds almost the same. You do not respond in a similar way. You do not have the same reaction. You do not say, oh, that sounds pretty much like that other song I, I, I like. Oh, I'm going to listen to this too. In fact, you have, a, you have a, a repulsion towards that sound. And why is that? It's because there's something about a new thing that is pointed towards some kind of shared truth that gives it, that makes everyone look towards it. Mm-hmm. And if a thing is a copy of something that points towards shared truth in a new way, it inherently has no meaning because it self, it in itself has no truth. And so your idea as a creator is to always try to be the orientator of novel truth to point the crowd towards something they haven't seen exactly before, but they all know is there. Yeah. And so that's why we don't like tracing. That's why the worst thing you can call an artist is a hack, because if they're just copying what worked before, they're no longer a pioneer on that mm-hmm. realm of the unknown, of the, of the making sense of the world. 
of the tr truth. Like it's it's almost like I was talking to my buddy Josh Middleton this morning in Japan. We always have these weird talks, but <laughs> but there's uh, there's something beyond ourselves. What whatever you call it, you can call it God, you can call it truth, you can call it anything we want. But as an artist, you are you are aware that when you are on all cylinders, when you're running hot, it's more than just you. You're there's some kind of thing you're tapping into or pointing to or exploring, and and people respond to your work because they sense that in the work itself. Right. Like it's, it's almost a metaphysical uh, act, and the reason people respond to your work is because they respond to that metaphysical just trans i don't know what it is it's like a it's like a it's like a guide stone and then it's used up and once you have that you need something new so you keep as long as you keep having to have provide new experiences that always point towards truth in a new way and it's like that's you should never really know what you're doing i can't remember the questions but i think it's something about like about <laughs> like uh about like <laughs> about, the, about amazing fantasy no no about, about the fantasy right so <laughs> I'm constantly, I constantly follow my urges wherever they go, and, the, and I just, I just, I try not to over, overanalyze it. But if I just have that ping in my tummy, that oh, that's cool. I haven't seen the, the player's manual for Dungeons and Dragons since I was a kid or whatever. And then there's a ping there. I'm like, okay, I'll like save that image. I'll file it away. I'll chase that. I'll, I'll like try to find a. If, if I hear Straczynski say, um, try not to get a, a mustache twirling villain. And there's a ping, like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to, to <laughs> try to create a mustache twirling villain, but in a way that actually works? Yeah. Like, st still, still follow what Shinsky's telling me, the, 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 the sage advice, but then yeah. also do that thing you're not supposed to do? Like, to me, that's the, that's the goal. Those are the nuggets of gold that I, that I love to dig into. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I like how the fun, it comes across when we read your work that, that there's fun that you're creating, and we're picking up on that. And that's always what makes the titles really nice to. To, to read um you mentioned erratic uh, is there uh, is there a plan to revisit that world at any point uh well like, like, like his powers i think after the after the correct uh, uh recharge that he will return i know my kids this never happens but my my little boys um love erratic so much uh and i know they are very interested in me doing more erratic so i mean that never happens in my in my world, so that that, that that's an indicator in into itself, probably. That's good news. Well, I'm, I'm I, that's it's a sense of good news. That's that's. <laughs> I'll take the, it. The problem with the problem with, with creating is there's always so many things you want to do. It's it's yeah. the, it's like there's always an opportunity cost every time you, every time you, you do one thing. So uh, so you know. Well, I'm anxious to see where it goes. I, How do I not answer your questions? No, no, that it, it, you can't reveal all future plans. But I, I know the the book was really enjoy enjoyable. I enjoyed it. I know a lot of other people did, and I think there was. Uh, I, I I said in one of the reviews, it was uh, know, somewhere around issue four. You were still bringing new things into the picture, and I'm I start to get the feeling like I have no idea how he's going to land all this because there's you're you're still growing. It was it was it was enjoyable. You and me uh, both, my friend. You and me both. <laughs> That's, the problem I have when I'm writing is, Joe, you probably have the same problems. There's so much you want to do, and you only have 20 pages. Like, just so yeah, much. Right. Like, oh my God, there's so many little things I want to do. Um, especially when I'm also drawing it, because sometimes yeah. you want to draw, you want to take three panels to do one thing. And yeah. you can only fit, like, I don't know, you should only really fit four to six on a page, but I'm, you know, I'm doing nine panels sometimes. Like, I just cheat a lot. and. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. Sometimes I'll, I'll sneak in extra pages and, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, if I could just draw faster, uh, my output would be so much more. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's the dream for everybody. I, I would imagine that's a common thing a lot of people wish is that they could just uh, could just get the ideas out quicker. But uh, no, it, it, the comic is great. I'm looking forward to Amazing Fantasy. Uh, I think you know, Kari, I, it, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. And and yeah. guy, we we went. Uh, you took us some different places. I love that <laughs> kind of the bigger look at what art can be. And and um, I don't know. I, I I view it all as, as Class half full as well, so I'm hoping that we get some great stuff. Yeah, well, it's great. It's great talking to you guys. I mean, I, I do listen yep. to you guys quite, quite often, both of you, Joe and Clue. No, thank you. Uh, so it's uh, it's 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 fun. It's fun to hang out and and talk some talk some shop. And yeah. you know, talk, after talk uh, after a couple of the issues are out for Amazing Fantasy, you think you'd come back and chat with us again? Talk about oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Awesome. I think the thing, the thing, the thing that what I'd like to leave your audience with is yes, please. If you liked erratic. You will probably like Amazing Fantasy, and if you like the idea of Amazing Fantasy, you should probably check out Erratic, uh, because they really are um, kindred spirits in many ways. Different characters, different companies, different stories, different themes, everything else. But there's that same cre creative impulse fueled them both, and in some ways, it's that same creative impu impulse that I often tap into that I try to use with Spider-Man Rain. Uh, which shows up in the in the news cycle like every couple months. I just saw it again on CBR. I think another <laughs> it makes these lists of like of like uh, for, sometimes they're good lists and sometimes they're bad lists. But it's always on these lists. It's uh, mm -hmm. or Iron Fist, Living Weapon. It's the same compulsion to reinvest in the core of the characters that I just I just cannot get enough with because again I find it philosophically so so true. Like when you deviate from yourself too much. You know that's when life stops working. Yeah, and you know that's when you need to stop, take a breath, get rid of the bullshit, go back to what works, go back to yourself, and start again. And I think that to me that in that reinvention is life, and I try to use it in my storytelling. I love it. Thank you very much, Kari. Chatting with you as always, and uh, we'll we'll be back to talk to you again real soon. I think. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Been a pleasure. <laughs> Good.